All right, uh, welcome to Callin' Shots. This is Seth Partnow. Um, apologies, I lied to people last week. There was not a Saturday show. Um, uh, I, I promise it won't happen again until the next time. Uh, anyway, I wanted to, um, with, with kind of school starting up and people are starting to think about such things as internships, and uh, I, I don't know about you, Andrew, but I'm starting to get the yearly round of emails of, what can I do in school this year to help with a career in uh, sports analytics? I want to know more about what you do, those kind of things. And I, I, I'm saying that in more of a mocking tone of voice than I mean that I really shouldn't because people are, are very earnestly asking those questions. But uh, you recently, Andrew Patton, uh, of, uh, director of, of uh, health and safety data science for the NFL in your day job, uh, in your sort of sideline, uh, the, the Darko app, which we'll talk more about, you are offering an internship program this year, which I think is a... Um, uh, you you took, took to Twitter to talk about what kind of uh, skills and experiences this might help someone sort of going along that path. So first of all, welcome. Second of all, uh, tell me more. Sure. Glad to be here as always, Seth. Yeah, so our internship program, and I want to, it's program is potentially overselling the formality of it, but it's it's something that we wanted to do that was not really designed for people who already know where they're going or have the full complements of skills necessary to get there. Uh, for example, if you're a undergrad and you're a you know, mechanical engineering and minor in math, the answer for you is you have the raw skills. Now it's just figuring out the exact way to put them forward in a way you like to get into sports or to get into anything else you might like. Um, we targeted this internship because the Darko team, both uh, Kostya and myself, were both latecomers, pretty substantial latecomers to the world of sports analytics, and from you know non-traditional backgrounds. Uh, me a little less so, but Kostya, like you, is a lawyer, um, and or was a lawyer, and so you know there's this. And uh, I've been teaching recently at the University of San Francisco, and you know I remember when I was in school, you know you 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 sign up for a major when you're 18, knowing literally nothing about anything. I remember I picked my major based on it sounded cool. That's the extent of it. <laughs> um, and you kind of are, if you aren't careful, you're locked into a four-year commitment for something that you're not entirely sure what you're going to do with. And then by the time you're graduating looking for jobs, it can be, oh, no, I should have done X, Y, and Z. <laughs> this, uh, this, this is very reminiscent of, of a book I've mentioned many times on, on the show, um, Range by, by David Epstein. Is he, he talks a lot about uh, match quality and the fact that uh, you know, it's a concept of your sort of talents and interests, how they align with what you actually want to do. And the weird thing about sort of our system is, hey, you're 18 – you, you already know that, so you should pick. And really, that's kind of ridiculous because most people don't figure out like both what they like and what's out there and how those two mesh until later. And and so his recommendation in that book is for people to uh, sample. And and you know part of sampling is trying things. And and you know I think that you're for, like we'll get to what Darko is again for a refresher for people who haven't who don't know. But I think your program is a little bit beyond sampling but it's still it's it's more of a way to get a taste before someone dives in whole hog to i want this as a career correct um the way we kind of see this working out is that you're the person who would be fit for this is plus or minus two years from graduation of a traditional undergrad and, and you know you could be a junior senior a couple years out and you realize that you aren't equipped with the skills or practicum to even self-learn efficiently 
It's really tough, and I remember this when I was starting out in this kind of space of people, sent, myself included, say, oh, just here's some tutorials, figure it out. There's still like a whole rest of the owl situation before you can even <laughs> get to that point and feel confident that you are doing anything other than uh, complete nonsense. And that is real. it's like a bridge program before you can start going through more complicated tutorials or getting out beyond just... I'm too scared, I don't know anybody, like I don't even know how to begin beginning to do this. Um, and for me, when I made the decision to begin to do this, I was 29 years old, right? I was a full-grown adult, I had a career anyway, it was just going to be something for fun, I didn't care if it worked or not, because worst case scenario, I was just writing about the Sixers for fun, pretty much doing what I was going to be doing anyway, <laughs> with the rest of my career. But if you're younger, don't have the you know, the, the network or the people or the time or whatever situation you're in, it can be very difficult to devote the time and resources to learn how you need to learn to then maybe do something. Sure. So, uh, and, and quickly tell people, and, and we'll get to a little bit more about what Darko is, and I think that we probably should have led with that, but oh well. Um, people listening to this probably have some sense, but anyway, uh, if people are interested in, in, in what you're talking about, want to learn more, where can they go? Uh, www.darko.app. That's the website for our application. And you can just go to my Twitter feed. Um, and I have the pin tweet. My Twitter handle is at A-N-P-A-T-T-7. And the, the internship kind of thread and application is pinned at the top. So let's, let, let's circle back. Um, what is Darko, and and you know, it's obviously you you've put more of a uh, a front face on it, and and Costia, who's been on this program before, has has done uh, some of the work behind. But what is it, and and why is it interesting? Right. So, and I, I'll make it clear for people who don't know, uh, Costia uh, has done ninety nine point nine nine percent of everything you can't see, and I've done ninety nine point nine nine percent of everything you can essentially. So take credit for all of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the visible part's all yours, so, so you did it all. Sure, 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 sure. Um, but essentially what Darko is at its core is a, a advanced box score projection system. So it predicts what a player's going to do tomorrow effectively. So it says here's how many points this person will score per minute, here's how many rebounds per minute, things like that. And it also provides an estimate essentially of a player's true abilities and these are a kind of touchy way to describe this, but, you know, if you look at, for example, Steph Curry, you could say, what's the three-point percentage, right? But that three-point percentage is maybe over just this season, over his career, over the last five games, just one game, and that may not give you a holistic view of how good he actually is at the current moment. And so Darko, through a, a, a very intelligent and complicated way, incorporates all of the players' games throughout their entire career and all their various kind of box score skill components to project how they're going to do the next game, which in essence, in the most predictive way, should this person actually is at this skill. I, the, this, this gets to the heart of a problem I, I've like to describe over time as the is versus did problem. We tend to confuse the two. This player scored 20 points a game, therefore he is a 20-point-a-game scorer. And and those are those are very different statements, and and I think confusing them is is you know from a from a fan perspective it's kind of so what um, from a I I think we both now that we've been doing this a little bit from more of a practitioner perspective that that difference is kind of fatal. 
Yeah, no, definitely. And there is value in understanding what someone did, but there's also maybe more value, certainly a multiplicative value in understanding what they're going to do. And that is what Darko is. It's not, it's taking what you've done and turning it into what you're going to do over the course of a player's entire career. So I'm going to ask a question the dumbest way possible here. Love it. Okay, so Darko is going to predict the box score stats. How often is it right? Exactly right? No, you just said predicted. So if he, if it says he's he's going to score 23 points and he scored 25 points, you were wrong. And why should I ever listen to you? No, I mean I'm you know I'm being I'm being a little facetious here, sure. but but the word prediction kind of trips people up on that a little bit. For sure, and it's well known in basketball and sports in general. I think predicting participation is the hardest thing in minutes in basketball because you know if you assume everyone's healthy which is a big if. You assume no one's load managing, that's an if. You assume the game is competitive most of the way, that's a big if. You know, a player can say, well, we, you know, we can model this person at 35 minutes a game or 32 minutes a game or 17 minutes a game or whatever. So these, but the minutes projections are, are very difficult to get accurate over, and these are things that are often hand keyed still in certain models. Um, and so what Darko does... I, I, I think they tend... Honestly, I think that the that the manual entry at this point is almost... I, it tends to, in my estimation, beat kind of the algorithmic minute estimates in, in all but rare cases. It's, of, of, it, it's really tough to get minutes dialed, especially at scale, especially for one person who's doing 100% of the modeling work. Yeah. So even with that, Darko is really good at predicting the essentially the per whatever you know per 100 per 36 whatever you choose as your flavor of choice it does a really good job at that and then we do provide minutes projections but if you're someone who's into dfs or whatnot you can kind of hand tune your own minutes projections and multiply things out as needed so yeah it, with predictions are tough it's not saying that this is exactly what's going to happen we guarantee it it's this is the best estimate of a complicated model that we think is the best way to do it. And it is quite accurate as far as these things go. Um, obviously, you know, you're never going to predict that Giannis is going to score 55 points in a game, and you're not going to predict that he's going to score seven points in a game, but there are, you know, over time, these predictions are very accurate. Sure. I think, and I think that's, that's, you know, the difference between a formal and a lay understanding of kind of statistical reasoning is the difference of knowing that a prediction is not, it's not a, it, you know, it, in, in formal terms, it's not a point estimate so much. It is a distribution. And I like um, the, the weather analogy here is really good. When someone, when the weather, the end of, you know, national weather people say it's going to rain, there's a 15% chance of rain tomorrow. You know, we either experience it as yes or no, but it means that if you took a thousand days where they predicted it's going to rain 15% of the time, it's going to rain on 151 of those days. So, and it's tough on a, like, one-game basis. Every model is going to look bad when a player goes out of his mind or forgets how to dribble. But in the aggregate, over time, that's how you win predictions. Right. So I think this is sort of a... a um I, I almost think box score stats in basketball are kind of easy as far as, as predicting things go. It's not, I mean, you know, I think that, that even a um, part, I think part of the reason DFS is hard is because getting to a certain point of who will do what is not terribly hard because basketball stats tend to be a little, little sticky. And I say that by way of comparison, uh, 
your your day job is is predicting in a much harder area. Yes, football is football is hard just in general. Well, not just not just the football part of it. I mean, I I can speak from you know my day job. I can speak yeah. from how, how my football is hard, but specifically like injury prediction, prevention, safety stuff yeah. like that. Like yeah. that's it's very hard because you know we'll put aside the fact that the game of football is a much is very very complicated in a way that basketball you know or hockey potentially aren't there's more there's you know shifts there's the there are people changing in and out you can get estimates of things but one of the things that's always really really hard to do across any any discipline is this idea of predicting injuries um you know there's one thing to predict it a millisecond before it happens based on you know, biomechanical readings of, oh no, something's about to go wrong. But being able to predict this incredibly complex thing from afar is, you know, borderline impossible. <laughs> so you have to win around the edges. Uh, you can't just say, we're going to build a magic model that's going to predict every ankle sprain. Well, this guy stepped on someone else's foot. Like, how, you can't predict that. There's there's sort of a base rate of like stochastic injuries in any yeah, in any sport. Sports happens. You have yeah. huge dudes running around, but within the context of that, within the context of keeping football competitive and football, how do you win around the edges? Pre- re- eliminate the things that are preventable and possible, make the things that are bad less bad, and continue to iterate over time. It's not a definitely not a one shot, and I want to emphasize that there are a ton of smart people working on this stuff both employees of the league and uh, outside vendors that work with us on all kinds of crazy cool stuff, like uh, little literal engineers building models of feet and fields and other epidemiologists working on stuff. There's a whole suite of people working on this. And then on top of that, you have, you know, folks like, like Zone 7 and, and other, you know, these the very complex machine learning and, and AI algorithms to try to collate what is a pretty massive set of inconsistent data to actually figure out what what's going on um so what are the what, i think something that, that that's interesting is that that you're doing this from the standpoint of the league so does that mean your purview is mostly about like safety or is it or and your title is you know it's health and safety like trying to you know reduce a certain kind of of you know long-term health impact on the players or is it to be a resource for teams for the competitive advantage of having your good players on the field? Is I mean, there's obviously, I would think, a business case for preventing stars from getting injured. Um, you know, we have with all the complaints about uh, stars getting injured this year in the NBA, it's certainly something people are, are, are paying attention to. So, what does that look like from the standpoint of the league, of, of the league side? So, one of the cool parts is is that I do a little bit of everything. My background, uh, for people who don't know, I worked. I was a traditional kind of academic when I was, uh, you know, worked in scientific human health consulting, done a variety of stuff in epidemiology for the CDC and opioid surveillance, and then I worked in NBA space for a while. So I've done a little bit of everything, and I have a human performance background, and so I'm able to like leverage all that because I'm working with, as you obviously know, Michael Lopez quite well, and in our group we focus on, you know, making football awesome, you know, both competitiveness. Uh, the fan experience, safety, but what uh, our vertical is rooted in, like the on-field stuff. And there's another vertical of people that spend a lot of time on the more medical side of things, um, that are 
And you know, for example, like the engineers building and working on testing equipment safety, that's, that's, that's a little isolated from what I do. But for example, some stuff we're working on is trying to understand like quarterback behavior and safety. Um, quarterbacks are pretty important for your team to win. And we want to emphasize that how can we understand quarterback behavior in terms of avoiding contact, in terms of sliding, uh, in terms of understanding when they're doing something risky to win a game, when they're doing something risky that won't mean anything in the long term. And it's a really complicated question. And uh, you may, uh, you probably know this, you've heard of something called a German playground problem, which is the idea that if you make something a little safer, people just will move their risk tolerance up higher. So you have the same like chunk of risk, it's just moved somewhere else. I mean, isn't that, there's a little bit of that in the sort of the rugby union versus football. Like they don't have, they they don't wear helmets and in, in, or if they do it's scrum caps in, in in rugby union so the the style of hitting they do is very different from the I'm wearing a big blunt object on my head so therefore I can use it as a weapon that occasionally happens in you know in gridiron football. Yeah, so it, it, it's along those lines where if we're focusing on quarterbacks there we've done a lot over the last by we other people have done a lot of work over the last few years to make the pocket safer for quarterbacks, right? So they feel like they're not going to get hit in the knee as they're stepping into a throw. They're not going to get you know, punched in the face as they're, as they're back there. And so what that means is quarterbacks might, and I emphasize might here as we don't know because we're working on this, there are, um, have you moved your risk to outside the pocket now? Where you see these incredible, like, you know, just incredible athletes. you got your Allens, your Mahomes, your Rogers, these guys who are mobile, huge, big, strong, able to do everything, but now they're running around outside the pocket trying to make plays where they aren't protected by the, by the rules as much as they were inside the pocket. Would, the, would, a, would it maybe be more that, a, that a, 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 a sort of a traditional stand-in-the-pocket type might, their risk tolerance might change in that they're willing to just hold the ball longer? Yes. Yeah, if you know you're not going to get crushed, you'll probably hang on to it. And this is, and I am... You've probably seen a million articles about how quarterback sack rate is pretty consistent across uh, teams when they transfer. It's a, yeah, it's a quarterback stat, not an exactly. offensive line or a defense stat. That is based stat. on their personal, both physical abilities and risk tolerance and the timer in their head. And so, you know, what a guy like Russ Wilson has for his personal quarterback risk profile might be different than someone like Tom Brady at this stage in his career, who might be different than someone like um, Josh Allen or Lamar. Right? So there are these different um, kind of packages each quarterback brings to the position that make them, A, really good, but how they kind of apportion their own risk is different. And we're working to work on projects like that where it's an understanding of how does a quarterback's behavior and, and efficacy, right, because it doesn't really matter if you have a passer rating of zero, <laughs> So we've got to be great being quarterback to you know be successful, win games, and stay on the field. So I mean, I, I'm glad you you brought that sort of performance aspect up because this this is sort of analogous, although perhaps more injurious, to a, a basketball situation where kind of um, you know uh, there, there's sort of the risk reward in in passing uh, that the, you know it's sort of a well known thing at this at this point that. Um, you know how often a player play makes is pretty directly correlated with the num- with the frequency with which they commit passing turnovers, mm-hmm. and that that that's even like relative to the number of passes they throw. Like, you know, if you're trying to do something like helpful with the ball, it's probably riskier. 
So, like, having a sack rate of zero is probably not ideal for a quarterback. Right. That means they're probably, uh, you know, you, if a quarterback could two-step drop slants and hand off every time, and then they would have a sack rate of zero, you would also be, you'd never win a game. But then you have, uh, you know, quarterbacks who maybe hang on to it too much throughout of lack of processing speed or just trying to be heroes, and that's also not good. So, yes, there's an optimization between sacks and effectiveness, which is different per player and per offense. And then also you have to fold in there the idea that the injury risk of... Yeah, of, of there's a short-term and a long-term there. There's a so, win-this-game win optimi- optimal right. and, a, and a this season optimal and, and a career optimal, I would imagine. And obviously coaches know this because and have always known it because you're not playing your starters in the end of a game, you're up by 70 points, right? And so it's, but there's interesting more kind of nuanced understandings about league-wide behavior as opposed to individual team-specific, like competition-based behavior that we look at. uh, So how does what you're looking at differ from what someone might be looking at on a a team side where it seems like there's, there... I would imagine on the health and safety side, there's probably a little more collaboration than there is on sort of the, uh, the, the strict like strategy and personnel analytics stuff. But still, it's probably like 32 teams trying to build a better mousetrap. For sure. And some of that is a legitimate competitive advantage. If you're a team that has figured out a way to keep your players, you know, 1 through 53, healthy, in shape, fit, ready to go, you're not going to be telling me to tell everyone else. <laughs> Right. So, and the teams do collaborate with the league on a lot of the other things we're working on around the edges. Some of the, the equipment stuff we do a lot of work with. Some of the you know reporting and understanding and like the, the collecting medical information. But I will say, without getting too deep into it, some of the data that teams have is not as rich as the data that the league and the league partners have on a on a global scale. But again, we aren't focused on a roster like strategy for keeping players. And we're not really evaluating players at all, right? There's a, you know, we don't understand strategy. Like, I'm not telling you to play, you know, it's just we're doing it on a, on a much larger kind of zoomed out level. Sure. It's, it's, I, I, I'm guessing that there's a lot of sort of anonymization of, of the, so uh, running back not available today. Okay. We don't, we don't know if that's, you know, a special teamer or a it's probably somewhere in the data but you don't it's not necessarily this is derrick henry or this is some some like undrafted rookie who's on the practice squad you're just kind of knowing the 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 inputs that have that have Correct. led yeah. to them being and just yeah. like any good healthcare record system i don't have like carte blanche to go through medical records i don't have access to any of those and there's quite a so far as we know like, uh, you know, governance and, and yeah. regulatory frameworks, so the players' rights and health and safety are being protected on their end before any information gets to me to look at for, you know, approved research purposes. So it, the teams have more access. Again, I don't deal with medical. I'm not an MD. I do not deal with any medical information from a thing like that. We work with kind of aggregated counts and understanding of, if necessary, specific fire-level stuff, but it, it's very much not a me poking through people's data or anything right. like that. 
So does this, is this kind of information, does this, obviously you're talking about rules around the pocket. I imagine it has applications to special teams. A lot of the, I, I, I would think that uh, whether formally or informally, there's probably been some study going into some of the changes in, in sort of kick and punt rules over the years. Um, and as well as kind of um, sort of uh, uh, like length and type of, of physicality of practices. Are these all sort of things that are, I don't want to say you're driving that, but you're informing those decisions? Yeah, there's been a lot of work recently by our external like engineering biomechanics on some of, and epidemiology and some of like the, uh, the practices and things like that. Um, you know, one of the, the, the most interesting things about football is that there's a, so many knock-on effects that if you change a rule, even something you think is probably going to be pretty simple, there's always a, okay, so what does that do after we, that happens. Give me an example. Um, you know, with the overtime rules that were changed recently, right? <laughs> so how does it then... Well, you get, you get everyone on Twitter bitching. That's well, certainly... Right, yeah. Yes. 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 That is absolutely one of, the, one of the knock-on effects. But it becomes, okay, if we're adding plays or subtracting plays, that's an increased injury risk because just more stuff, right? But we don't know for sure. And so you have to run simulations and understand how many injuries, if any, you think something will add or subtract, or if you make even more substantial changes like, you know, um, uh, proposals, you know, various rule proposals you've seen over the years, they're like, you have to evaluate every single step along the way of, if we put this into play, what are all the potential side effects, both from health and safety, are you adding or subtracting injuries, are you adding or subtracting game time, are you adding or subtracting more stuff for the ref to keep track of, because they can't throw, they can't keep track of 500 more rules that we put in just to throw flags. So there's a finite amount of like wiggle room you have, and you have to evaluate all your potential changes within that framework of keeping football, you know, exciting, keeping football, football, keeping competitive, as well as all the health and safety part, and then as well like it's on TV. We can't have a six-hour game. Right. <laughs> um. So is that like do you, do you have any like is there any sort of past example you you can you can you can give of something where sort of like you thought you had it worked out or someone they thought they had it worked out and then this oh wow this actually we almost we 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 solved the local problem but made the global problem worse or basically counteracted all the gains we made um without getting too far into it i know that there were some rule proposals that were you know put forward in total good faith that we thought about and then we asked the coaches because coaches are always the, are the smartest about like what they would do in the in the, you know, the, the what would Daryl Morey do uh, corollary. Yeah, it's like okay, if we did this, what would you guys do? And they came up with an immediate fix to to totally destroy the intent of the rule. We're like, oh, that's a good point. It's unforceable. So there's this idea. You always like we talk about it, if you're going to make a rule, it's got to be enforceable. It's got to be something you can measure. It's got to and, and so you have to take into account so many um, you know side effects from all these changes. That's why. A lot of the rule changes take a long time to implement because there's a ton of important stuff that has to be evaluated before you do anything because you really can't haphazardly change rules and claw them back all the time. So you've you've there's a phrase you've used several times here, which I think is analogous, and maybe we can get take it back to basketball where you're probably a little more free to speak. Is you're like keeping football football, and. Um, 
this sort of that that ties into a lot of like rule debates around the NBA. I think specifically around re- replay, especially. Um, you're basically when you're saying keep football football, you're kind of like, hey, this is an entertainment product, and this is what people want to watch. There's some sort of undefined, but you know, sort of Supreme Court justice. Uh, yeah, know it when I see it. This is football, and then you get to a, to a certain point, it isn't. Um, I, I feel like there's there's an analogy there where people like to say the most important thing is get the call right, and I know you don't. You don't actually believe that with like yeah. you know replay <laughs> in any sport. Um, so, like, a how do you like integrate that into? I mean, it's I mean, or how does one? Since I, I imagine you're just one of many inputs and not the one making the decision. But how do you you know how do you weigh that as a factor? How do you make sure to keep that factor in mind and then? Like, how do you weight one versus the other, whether it's safety, whether it's game time, whether it's, you know, fan enjoyment, whether it's competitive balance, what have you. There's these, you know, these five, seven, 12 things all pulling in different directions. Yeah, it, 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 that's kind of the, the interesting and hard part of the job. And I don't think that's um, dissimilar to other kind of, you know, big changes among things like that where you want to make sure that no no one acts in isolation because... You can't have any one group unilaterally deciding to change the sport and no one else having any input in it because it, it affects someone along the line. And so when these potential changes take one, two, three years to be evaluated, it's not just because people aren't responding to emails. You know, it's not, it's because we've evaluated, is there a health and safety impact? Is there an impact that changes, that goes against the CBA? Is there an impact that changes broadcast situations? Is there an impact that changes fan engagement? Is there something that you know, makes the literal viewing experience less enjoyable. Um, and it depends based on the severity of the problem you're trying to solve, you know, what, how, you know, how big those changes can be. It's a little bit of a, a non-answer, but... It, 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 oh, no, I don't know. I'm chuckling because you're saying makes the, the viewing experience worse. So does that, does that mean you're, you're evaluating whether, whether someone from the league should yell at the commentary teams to stop? No, wait, that's basketball, sorry. Uh, yeah, the basketball foot, announcers, yeah, football the foot, announcers foot, like the sport. Yeah, football, football announcers, announcers sell the hell out of the product. Like, yeah, the football, football announcers love football. Basketball announcers hate basketball. I don't think they actually do. They just do a bad job of... <laughs> they, 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 they often do a bad job of, it, of expressing that. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, it, you, it's a good point, though. There, there are many, many things that are pulling in different directions and how to optimize that in a way that's actually doable is... Is you know that's why there's people above me who help make these decisions and different experts. You know there are players who there's a competition committee, there's the health and safety committee. There are things that you know that are long-term priorities of the league. So there's lots of stuff that goes on to help decide which push and pulls to optimize for a given given solution. So just to get back to that phrase though, if like you were to 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 break that down a little bit more, when you say keep football football, what does that you know? What does that mean to you? Or is that is that something that's like, is that like an internal like catchphrase, or is that just something like a heuristic in your mind? I did not. That's not a phrase I came up with. Okay. Um, but it, it, you know, you could off the cuff in three seconds, you know, you could, you wanted to reduce injuries. Okay, you cut the roster size to it's now it's three on three football. It's two hand touch, and we play with a kickball. That that isn't. Football. I mean, that's obviously a very simple yeah. example. But you make enough changes. It's no longer the thing that people like, and so you have to change things to keep the sport. And that's not saying never change, obviously, but it's you want to keep the what people like about it, what everyone watches it for, the kind of core identity as much as possible. Um, 
what, the ship of Theseus thing, where you want to make you want to make sure that over time the thing you are trying to you know steward and push forward and make better is still the, the core identity. Right. That's and that's always tough. I mean, it, and and it's it's made made tougher by the fact that this is you know this is certainly a a um, you know I'm sure you hear like that's not football, that's not basketball. It's like well, they're both kind of made up. Or completely made up, and so it's it's there's sort of a an agreed upon sort of window of things that it is, but it's not. Right. If you look at all the major sports, eighty, you know, seventy years ago, there are things that are the same, and there are things that are very different. And so it's like, what things that are the same that are the core baseball used to be good, and now it's not. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, no, it's important to keep in mind because obviously, in, in an abstract world, you could totally just you know play with your little you know pull your levers and fix the things, but you end up ruining the product, which sure. is not the, not the intent, quite obviously. Sure. So I'm going to, I'm going to spring something on you that we did not talk about talking beforehand. Okay. Uh, but, but you reminded me of something that you are a uh, Philadelphia 76ers fan. I am. Yes. So the Very Philadelphia 76ers, <laughs> what's that? Very normal off season. I mean, if you say so, <laughs> Um. So, what do you think about this season? First of all, uh, how dare you tamper in your in your uh, your, your trade uh, your your trade discussions with with James Harden? I can't I cannot believe that a player who might be traded for was uh, contacted about what contract they might be amenable to if such a trade went down. I just that would just, no one's ever done that. Travesty, my, my yeah. No, yeah, no, this is, I, I feel like, so I feel like there's, 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 a, there used to be a joke, you know, an NCAA joke about, uh, you know, the, the NCAA is so mad at Kentucky for this, that they're going to put Cleveland state on probation mm-hmm. for, for three more years. And I kind of feel like the Sixers are, are catching the Rick Brunson or the, the, the Jalen Brunson <laughs> heat a little bit. Yeah, heat. It, it's a little, uh, it's somewhere between a little silly and a lot of silly, um, it's just like it seems the thing where you, if you can't police it effectively, why even do it? <laughs> so a, a rule that's unenforceable isn't a good rule. <laughs> yeah, it's like unenforceable, and you can't even. What's the difference between a player texting a player and an agent texting a, or and a front office person texting a player when the front office person is sitting in the same room as the player telling him what to text the other? It's it's, it's it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to me. I mean, it's. I, I think the the, the difference is depends on on which other team complains about it loudly <laughs> there enough. Go, that's it. Is is essentially the the when things get enforced. Um, so like, fetching about silly tampering tampering rules aside, um, well, how are you feeling about the the, the 76ers, You know, coming I, out of this off season. I like the off season. I thought they did a lot of good work bringing in every old Rockets player who. Um, <laughs> What, what would Daryl Morey do? Is, exactly. is rebuild the rebuild the 2016 Rockets? And, and I think it, it's you know obviously James Harden of course is in the best shape of his life. Obviously that was that was inevitable coming out this offseason. Um, rededicated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, By the way, have you seen the pictures of Luca? I have not. Has he actually rededicated himself in the best shape of his life? Um, I. I, I'm wondering where the rest of him is. Wow! From from the photos, like yeah, old I like game won't work as well now. Yeah, no, I'm I'm honestly like I, I I'm actually slightly concerned that like you know part of his his uh, his thing was the ability to just to just body people out of the way, and if he's you know if he's playing at 25 pounds later, does that work? There there's there are some pictures of him looking like 
svelte. Get them back to the Texas barbecue and, and all that stuff. <laughs> Whataburger, it'll get back up there. Yeah, I like the Sixers option. I think they've done a really nice job of kind of working around the margins to fill out the roster because, you know, if Joel's orbital bone didn't explode again, who knows? I mean, they could have beat the Heat. Um, you know, Harden did not play well, obviously, but I, I'm cutting him a little bit of slack because those hamstring injuries can literally linger for months and months and months. Um, and, like, when they were all healthy and playing together, they were really, really freaking good. And so it always comes down to don't get slaughtered when Embiid's off the floor. And now they have guys who can do things, a little more, like, do stuff guys. And then Maxi turning into, fingers crossed, the, the best possible version of the fast runaround, tiny, do-everything guard is, is awesome. Yeah, I think that's, that's on, on some level, like, Maxi is kind of the swing player, isn't he? Yeah, if he's like a, you know, borderline, not a borderline, not an all-star, like you won't, be, but like a borderline, like oh maybe next year kind of guy, that's awesome. But if he kind of plateaus, they're going to be, uh, that's a big difference because they just need some of that that juice, that athleticism, that that run around and do stuff that the Sixers have been lacking for a while. How are you feeling about their defense going coming into to to next season? Uh, I don't know. I guess it depends how much P.J. Tucker has in the tank and how much he wants to play in the regular season. Um, Danny Green, obviously, not not with us due to the knee. Um, I think it probably won't be great, but there's a chance the offense could be, like, the best. So, I don't know. TBD and obviously how much... Uh, what Paul Reed brings as the hopefully full-time backup center now. We'll now you're just you're, you're you're pandering to me now. <laughs> I'm pandering to me. This is this is a b-ball Paul positive podcast. There we go. Good stuff. Um, so prediction, you know, Probably. yeah, let's go full, full circle here. Like, what? Uh, let, well, let's start with the, what does a successful season look like for the seventy? Is it championship or bust? No, or I, I, I think. Getting to the Eastern Conference Finals. Let's check that one off. Okay. Get there. I mean, the East is going to be so good. The Celtics are going to be great. The Bucks are going to be great as long as Giannis is there. The Heat are going to be annoying as hell. And who knows what's going to happen with any of the various Mitchell, Durant stuff. Those could obviously totally change things. Eastern Conference Finals, don't get blasted, would be, would be great. So that, that being, so that's like 80th percentile outcome? Yes. Is that... Is that- you know, yeah. uh, so what's the fiftieth percentile outcome? Uh, not <laughs> the one, one, not the Eastern Conference Finals, and gets hammered. So, sort of like fifty-one wins, losing six. Yeah, not particularly close in not the second round. Well, Embiid looks good for three quarters, tired in the fourth. Essentially, last year, do last year. Okay. Again. <laughs> last year being like twenty twenty one, or 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 last, this most recent season. The most recent season, like that okay. kind of vibe, where it just doesn't feel good at the end of the year either. I mean, that's it's Philadelphia sports, yeah. so and like, the twenty and the bottom percentile is is truly unfathomably bad. Of Harden's leg explodes, Joel gets hurt, and then you have the process essentially. Six or, you know, it's it's that. So I mean, I mean, that's sort of that's the, that's the ten percent shit happens for every team. I think yeah. the the non that version of is like no no Harden isn't that guy anymore. But also, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, it would not be shocking if the Sixers won the title next year either. It would be surprising, I think, but it wouldn't be like, no one would be like, no, that's totally out of the realm of possibility. 
it's a, it's a very interesting season we're coming into because it feels like there's more teams you could say that about than any year I can remember. There are definitely, I mean, Celtics, Bucks, I would say Sixers have for sure. Heat, uh, they're probably better in the regular season, but yes, yeah, so there's four for sure. I mean, depending on what happens in Brooklyn, you got to say you wouldn't you'd be, at this point, you'd be surprised but not shocked if they figured out a way to get it together and. You know, they just like Durant decides to stay, and they maybe trade the other guy, and and you know, who knows? yeah, no, yeah. there's a it's a ton of, of openness, and in the West, yeah. it's like who the heck it could be. I mean, it could be anybody. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, would you would you be shocked if Denver won the title this year? I would not be. No. Would you be shocked if Memphis won the title this year? Yes. Oh wow. Okay, so Memphis is where you draw the line. I think. Yeah, I think I draw the line at Memphis. Okay. I put so, like this. I put. I would say the Nuggets and the Sixers are the same level of probability to me, of like emotional shockness. Uh, oh, so you're basically saying? Are you basically saying that Embiid's just as good as Jokic? Is that what you're basically telling me? <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I think the, the team's likelihood of winning the title is closer, and then above yeah. them, you got the Celtics, Bucks, Oop. Warriors, uh, Warriors crew. All right. Uh, since we started talking about the Sixers, Ali uh, had, had a. Uh, Wanted to chime in, and oh, he, perhaps he perhaps he's angry that I haven't uh, said anything nice about the Raptors yet. <laughs> Sorry about my comment last time. <laughs> and no, I, I actually wanted to talk about the internship. Uh, ask oh, about sure. the internship. Yeah, um, I wanted in your in the I I applied for the internship. Uh, you said it was like uh, you R was pre- uh, preferable to Python. I wanted to know. How much uh, is it like uh, hard to uh, transfer my Python skills to like R? Minimal. Minimal. Uh, the best, not... the, 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 you should learn them both because most places who do data science use one or the other, and most of them use both. <laughs> so um, learning both and being being good at one and not embarrassing at the other is usually an important skill set. So I'll. I'll... I'll, I'll say that uh, when I, I hired someone at at the Bucks who now works for me again at Statsbomb, and he had we 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 did all our stuff only in R, and he had only used Python, and it took him about three weeks to basically be on par or better as a coder than than the rest of the staff. So, you know, I, it's it it is um, if that's the kind of stuff you do, then picking up a new language is if you're if you're a hacky coder like me, it's daunting. If you're an actual coder, it, uh, it isn't that hard. It, it, it's, and for data science specifically, not engineering, because God knows I'm useless at that, it's like <laughs> learning French and Spanish. Like, you can kind of, if you know one, it doesn't take you that long to figure out the other. Um, and I'll put in a self-plug here. Uh, my GitHub repositories have side-by-side basketball tutorials that duplicate the same thing in R and Python. So if you want to learn how to do, like, that was exactly what I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you can, uh, if you look up my name on GitHub, there's tutorials that do, like, side-by-side, doing exactly the same thing in both languages. You'll see it's, you can pretty much read them both, even if you only know one or the other. Thank you very much. That was all my questions. No, th- uh, uh, thanks for asking, Ali, and thanks for listening, as always. Um so what else do we got? What else do we got to hit about the Sixers, or just the NBA in general? Since you know, <laughs> you're um, 
What is what what does Darko think about uh, about this coming season right now with all the off season movement? So we're still uh, uh, we're still doing some development work. Cassia did change real life jobs, so he's uh, doing a little bit more of that now. <laughs> also my fault. Uh, yeah, that's on uh, you. Um, yeah. And so we are. There's some stuff in in, in the works. Um, we do know that in general, when a player switches teams, they get a little bit worse. Um, and so, that's one of my. By the way, that, that like that that is a re, that is sort of a research project I sort of soft assigned to to, <laughs> to him, and that's one of my like low key favorite things that it's confirmed. Is basically like my intuition is that players that are like getting minutes and be having success in the NBA are everything else being equal at a, like kind of in an above median situation for themselves. Yes. And, and so if they change teams, it's, you know, knowing nothing else about anything, they're likely, go, they're more likely than not going to a worse environment. Correct. And I think that is, without checking this, it is more like, more pronounced kind of the less good you actually are. Right? Yeah. If you put Kevin Durant or Steph or Jokic on any team, they're still going to be crazy awesome. Yeah. So if you take someone who gets, you know, 18 minutes a night, does pretty well, has a nice little role for themselves... They sign a good, you know, bigger deal to go elsewhere. If it's if their names likely. rhyme with C.J. Rucker, perhaps. <laughs> For chance. For chance. <laughs> that's that's essentially the same team he's used to, though. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the switching teams makes you again not permanently and not like massively, but the expectation that a players are literally just plug and play doesn't really exist, unless you are one of the players that's so good that it doesn't actually matter. Sure. If basically, if you're the more context dependent versus context creating you are. Right. If you're an independent yeah. versus dependent player, the more dependent you are, yeah. the bigger delta there could be in in sure. in outcomes when you move. And yeah. everyone gets worse over the off season. So a lot of movement. First couple weeks of the season, everyone's everyone's kind of reclimatizes to. You know, playing three games a week and travel and, and all that stuff, and so the and actual defense, actual defense, and and things get a little are a little little all over the place, and they kind of stabilize a little bit in, and so um, always reserve your incredible overreactions, everyone, for at least uh, <laughs> a couple games. Uh, Alan has been patiently waiting uh, with a question. Alan, how are you? Uh, if you want to unmute, and uh, how are you doing? Hi, hey, thank you guys for doing this. Uh, I just sure. wanted to kind of. Like, I guess, talk about, like, you know, the Sixers or the Nuggets, I guess. So, like, Fire away. I guess, like, last season, you know, the Nuggets, like, they have, you know, a hard matchup in teams in the West, like the Warriors, who can go, you know, small ball. So I was wondering, like, is there, like, I definitely think, you know, the Warriors are just built to, you know, they're, they can always beat the Nuggets. But is there a way to... Is there a big enough like sample size? All the basketball players they were supposed to have would have been a different story. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's that's the thing about the Nuggets in like the last two years of the playoffs is, oh, they can't do this, they can't do that. Well, if they don't have their second and fourth best players, yes, they can't do that. If they're if you're starting Faku Campazo and Austin Rivers at the guards you're not a playoff competitive team because you just don't have enough talent on the floor. And that's, that's sort of agnostic of everything, of anything else on the roster or anything else on the scheme or any other player. Right. Yeah. I don't really trust the, 
off of you know like Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. for example, but yeah. But Mur- like, but but even if they had, like you you think like all the, and this is one of those things that comes up a lot. Like if all of a sudden Jokic can play with like a thirty-two usage instead of a thirty-nine usage, is his defense better? Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I like you have to think there's at least a decent chance of it. Or at least there's so, more, more energy when needed. Yeah. yeah, I think it's the same. Like the the best case version of the Sixers is Embiid's usage drops in the playoffs. Harden's picks up, and then Embiid can return to you know DPOI level engagement there, and then it's just a total. I'm I'm not actually sure I agree with that. I'm I, I'm because this is sort of um, this is this is sort of my my criticism of the Sixers post trade is that it looked more like a James Harden team than a Joel Embiid team. And Joel Embiid is better. Fair. So that is true. Like it needs to be it, like for them to be at their peak, it's it's Harden needs to to play around Embiid much more than Embiid needs to play subservient to Harden. For sure. Maybe at least more uh, assisted buckets for Joel instead of having to post up. Yeah, Even though his post ups are great, it it's it's hard. <laughs> yeah. No, that, I think that's fair. Yeah. So I think we, we, we sort of cut you off mid-question, Alan. Sorry. If, if we... <laughs> no, I just wanted to, I guess, just talk more about the Sixers, I guess. I mean, I also <laughs> do agree with, like, I think the best version of the Sixers is, like, Embiid being able to focus more, like, defensively as, like, an anchor and just getting, like, say, like, this 25, 26 points per game, like, more efficiently and, you know, giving more... Scoring opportunity, like more divided now with, you know, hopefully Maxi takes another step. You know, Harden's better, and all that. I, I, I don't know about you, Andrew. I think that's right. I think it's just it's how they get there, that that is more like if it's if it's you know they're running a more like pick and roll with Harden and Embiid, and you know he doesn't get the ball as much, and he's used as more of a decoy. That's one thing. If it's if it's the, well, we tried one thing and now James has the ball on the wing and he's going to yeah, get into his bag good. for five seconds. Yeah, I don't like I don't that's. Need, I don't need Joel standing in the corner while Harden dribbles forty feet from the basket, twenty possessions in a row. But just getting Joel a couple like layups where no one's hammering him. Yeah, and he doesn't have to work that hard would be would be pretty cool. I'd be a fan of that. <laughs> I I, th- I think that they do have the they do have the roster to use Embiid effectively as sort of a. A decoy, not not just a, but just, um, you know the like. In addition to his post up, he can also just be like the maximalist version of like the Tyson Chandler, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can do that for for a little bit of game where all right, set a screen, roll to the basket. Three guys are going to help on you, and then someone's going to shoot an open corner three. Yeah, and obviously this is all turned up to eleven if Maxi becomes the dude. Yeah, he, there's there there's a non a non-zero chance he can do that. Then it's just like the sky's the limit because you can't cover all three of those guys at all. I think that the um, the sneaky good pickup for them, if if everything goes well, is D'Anthony Melton. Yeah, I know he's so, one of the analytics darlings for many years as well, though. Well, one of, I mean, just he's he's you know. He's uh, I I've I've defined the players who are my guys as sort of the up to stuff <laughs> guys. And you know, and he fits very much into that. Yeah, so. I, I think it'll it'll be cool to have a, a full team of like twelve NBA basketball players. 
like legitimate dudes who can play basketball. Um, yeah, but Doc isn't going to play more than seven of them, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> if you get away with four, you get away with four. Yeah. But, uh, I, I think it'll be good because I think that'll allow, you know, if, if, plus if, if Reed can be like, fingers crossed, be like B minus, like decent to entertaining when he's like the good when he's out there. <laughs> oh, entertaining is a given. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's every, yeah. Impactful is, a, is an open question. Well, as always, I'm ready to get hurt again. That's all I know. Okay. Well, it's, you wouldn't be a Philly <laughs> sports fan without that. What do you guys also think of just Tobias Harris? Like, obviously, his contract is the downside, but, like, as, like, a big wing, like, who can the Sixers replace him? Because he I've averages, on, you know, like, I've the most I've been on record minutes. as the world's biggest Tobias Harris fan, so I'm probably not going to give you a satisfying answer to this. Oh, no, I, I, I'm with Tobias now. I just, you know, wish he had a solid contract. Yeah, no, I think, and I think that that he's he's sort of the inherited the Brook Lopez Memorial Award, where a player is underrated as a basketball player because of his. Now that sort of Andrew Wiggins has graduated from from that role, um, and, but uh, to which he may return if he, if the, the Warriors give him a, like a monstrous extension. But um, but I think he's the guy who's like he's okay. He's a good three level scorer can. Can defend a little, can play make like you know. It's a it's a pretty good big wing player. It's not a forty million dollar player, but he's not a bad player. And he's also like a capital A adult, which is nice. Like he plays a ton. The, the dude, like if you look pull up his game log, it's like 82, 79, 77. Dude, just you know, he's there all the time, which is important for the Sixers when many players aren't. And especially given that like he like the position, there there are not. Uh, they're not, generally speaking, good replacements. Like you can, can you find a backup center or a, you know a, a, a combo guard? Yeah. Can you find a big wing who is capable if, of if doing Tobias things at NBA level? Unrestricted free agent today. I Ooh. think people would be surprised by how much money he gets. I, th- I, mean, I think it starts high twenties. Yeah, he, he, yeah, he's good. He's good. That's he's a big. that's a great question. That is a great question. I might have to tweet that out and just. Uh, just to, to calibrate, because I think there's going to be people going to say, "Ah, oh, about 12. and it's like that is you're out of your mind. <laughs> yeah, that is ludicrous. Because um, I think people remember the last like two years ago where he was tasked with being a big shooting guard, which he is not at all. He's not like that guy. But when he's not asked to be the primary perimeter initiator, he's really good. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, Alan, thanks thanks for the question. Um, Okay, so I, I sprung some Sixers talk on you, some some NBA season talk. Anything else you want to uh, you want to hit, or do you want to just uh, one more time uh, talk up the internship and tell people yeah, where they can go talk to about the uh, get info? Again. Um, I, I mentioned this on Twitter, but you know, the, this is not a like setting concrete level of like you have to be this or have to be that. We you know put a call out for people to you know if you generally fit this, put an application, even if you don't. Put an application. Um, one of the things I really recommend for people when you're looking for jobs or positions, don't self-exclude because you feel like you don't meet something. Now, if something asks for a PhD and 15 years of experience and you're an undergrad, that's probably sensible. But you know, if there's wiggle room or you can kind of squint and see yourself in there, just go for it. Let them tell you thanks but no thanks. Don't do that to yourself. Um, I, I, I see at least one uh, sports business classroom student uh, listening to, to the, uh, the call, and uh, he will probably recall me admonishing them multiple times over the course of the, of the week 
don't say no for the other team. Yes, exactly. Let, don't, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's really a good way to do it. And, yeah, I mean, one of the – my entire career is um, based on just taking advantage of a couple cool opportunities that I kind of either accidentally found or found purposefully. But, you know, it's not – I wasn't, like, the person for only, – only job I ever had that I was dead perfect for is the one I have now, actually. <laughs> Everything else has been, like – Oh, I'm about 75% to 60% of these criteria, but I know I interview well, and I know that I'm doing, I can get me in a room with someone, I can tell them why they should employ me. So having that attitude uh, will help you get access to things you didn't know you had access to, and also just, even if you don't get a position or don't get a job, getting a first interview where someone knows your name or sees your name or sees your resume is valuable in and of itself. Well, one more time, tell people where they can, uh, the, the, uh, the location to find some of the information about uh, the Darko ship. Best, uh, oh, that's cool. I'm, I'm still in that. The best, uh, best place to find in, uh, information on that is my Twitter feed, which is at A-N-P-A-T-T-7, um, Andrew Patton. And then my, the tweet is pinned at the top. If you have any questions, please DM me. Um, and then there's an application. There's a PDF like with kind of a more formal layout of what's going on. But again, this is a... This is something about creating opportunities and doing some cool, fun kind of co-learning and internship. It's not a formal job application. If you think you're interested, if you think it'd be cool, go ahead and apply. I read all the applications. I read all the resumes. Cool. Well, uh, Andrew Patton, thank you for for joining me once again. I am back tomorrow having gone... uh, 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 fairly nerdy with a guy named Andrew today. I'm going to go completely the other way. Uh, uh, Andrew Combo Salop of uh, Combo's cor- uh, Court is going to uh, join me tomorrow. I've been on his podcast a number of times, and uh, we're going to talk about you know playing basketball all around the world and and you know the other things that that people can do in the world of basketball that it's just much bigger than the NBA. I'm looking forward to this. He's uh, He's really entertaining to to talk to and hopefully listen to. So join me tomorrow afternoon for that. And uh, thanks for listening, folks. Thanks again for joining me, Andrew, and talk to you all soon. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Seth.